We're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read a number of verses here, verses 1 through 13. Then we're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and read two verses. But opening in the word of the Lord at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. I want to reiterate, I'm so grateful if you're here and you're a guest today. I hope we have an opportunity to interact after service. And if you haven't filled out a guest card, please do so. We'd love to stay in contact with you. If you have any questions about uh, church service today, there's plenty of answers we'd love to give and share. Uh, We're pretty much uh, an open book quiz. And uh, so we'll show you what and why we do what we do. And uh, we're so glad to have you here today. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. They had a child. It was a boy. She bare again his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. He was angry. And his countenance, the way he appeared, it changed, it fell. You ever see someone's attitude change on the drop of a hat? That's what happened to this man. And so the Lord says to him, he says, why are you angry? And why is your countenance, why is it changed? What's going on? And God says, look, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you do not well, then sin is waiting at the door for you. And unto you, sin will have its way. And you shall rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So after Cain talks with the Lord, he is out and about with his brother Abel. And it came to pass while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him. And the Lord says to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain replies, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And God replies to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries up to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the earth. Someone say the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from the land uh, by hand. And when you till the ground, someone say the ground, the ground will no longer give way, will not yield basically its potential of what it could for you. A fugitive, a vagabond, you will be in the earth. Someone say the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Moving forward to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. The Lord is speaking and God says, if I shut the heavens and there is no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence or disease among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, if they would humble themselves and pray, if they would seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Someone say heal their land. I want to preach just for the next few moments here with the help of your attention about heal 
the land. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you right now. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your mercy, your grace. I thank you for, Lord, what you have already, Lord, planned to do today. And I pray, God, that we are a part of your plan. I pray we are a part of your will. I pray we do not miss the mark. I don't I don't want to miss your will for today, Jesus. I want to be in line. I want to be in tune. I want to be led by the Spirit. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And someone say, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Heal the land. If you have any awareness in your eyes or somewhat open, and your ears are somewhat open, you kind of have a sense that things aren't too good in the world right now. They don't take but one click, one swipe to come to the reality or to be confronted with a conflict that is raging through our world right now. On so many levels, there is an unrest, there is an uncertainty. And we've talked about it a number of times as, as we have been going through this season together as a church and as a people. The Bible prophesied that the earth is going to reel to and fro like a drunkard. Anyone ever see a drunk man just kind of stumbling over himself? You know, if a police officer pulls a man out and he would ask him to walk a straight line, he would he would struggle a little bit because he's under the influence. And our world is intoxicated right now. Our world is under an influence other than God's Holy Spirit. It is another spirit. It is a contrary spirit. And it is a very sad day in which we are living. It reminds me of reading in Genesis in chapter 6 when God speaks as he surveys the land. He says the earth is full of violence. You read in the book of Judges about men doing that which is right in their own eyes. People calling good evil and calling evil good. We are living in a biblical era right now of epic proportions. This is a very precarious day and hour which you and I are living. And I hope that something inside of you is curious or inquiring and pondering what in the world is happening. There's there's just a shaking and there's a shifting and there is just such instability in our world right now. And you see riots all over the land. You see violence all over the land. You see all these problems and issues. And we just talked about it maybe a few weeks ago, a month ago on Pentecost Sunday as we talked about the problem of Pentecost. And if you were not there and did not hear, I would encourage you to go online and listen to that. God moved in a very important fashion and way in this church on that day. But as we look and survey over the land, it's much like the picture that you see up there of a world that is on fire, a world that is enraged and inflamed. And some can argue rightfully so. And there's a statement out there, and perhaps you have heard it or someone has told you in a time of turmoil, trauma, or tragedy, that time heals. Anyone ever heard that before? Time heals. Healing will come in time. But that is not totally true. Now, if you use time wisely, appropriately, and in God's way and method, then yes, time can bring some healing. But time also has a way of dulling truth. And time has a way of helping forget tragedy. But it does not do away with the truth, and it does not do away with the tragedy. 
Time moves on, but God doesn't. Whatever the tragedy, whatever the severity of a circumstance or situation that occurs in our world, it's just if you try to think of like all the serious things that happened last year or maybe even three months ago, you might strain to recall some things that have happened, that some deaths and some uh, uh, sicknesses and some some uh, uh, weather patterns and earthquakes that seem like an unforgettable moment. But time has a way of doling our senses. And we forgot that such and such tragedy just happened a couple months ago. We forgot that such and such situation just happened a few weeks ago because time moves on and time doles our senses and impacts our memory. But God doesn't move on. There's a story in your Bible. I'm not going to read through it, but you can jot it down if you like and take a look at it later. It's found in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. There is a famine that is raging through the land during David's reign as king. And there is such tragedy going on. And it goes for a year. Then it goes for two years. Then it goes for three years. And something begins to go on David's mind. He says, man, this is this is." This is not normal. This is not typical. This is this is strange. Something's different in the land right now. There's something's off with the land right now. And so David decides to talk to God about it after three years. It would be wise that we start talking to God about things sooner than later if we ever want to figure out what's going on. And so David talks to God and God gives him some insight. He says, listen up, David. There's a reason why there is famine In the land, there's a purpose as to what is going on right now. I am not pleased. I am not happy. And God says, you have breached a contract. You have broken a covenant, an agreement. And that agreement is found in the book of Joshua, chapter nine, where basically the Israelites are encroaching into the promised land and they are in various battles of conflict. And there is a a covert group in the land that approaches the Israelites and they they appear to be something else than who they are. They change their identity. They they put on old raggedy clothes and they get some old moldy bread. And so they can appear as if they traveled for months or weeks to get to the Israelites. And so uh, when they appear there, they basically talk to Joshua and say, hey, we want to enter into a peaceable agreement with you right now. And Joshua says, where are you from? They're like, we're from a far land. Our, our clothes, we usually look a lot nicer than this. And, and our bread, it was fresh. It was just out of the oven. But we live so far away. Our, our zip code is E-I-E-I-O. It's, it's way out there. You don't even know. It's the middle of nowhere, some rural land. You wouldn't even know it if I named it. And Joshua said, sure enough, all right. They didn't consult with God. And they went into covenant with the, the Gibeonites, or they were the Hivites of the land of Gibeon. And they end up... Um, Uh, they come into a contract saying, you know what? We're going to protect you. We're not going to harm you. We're going to be safe. Don't worry. We're on the same team now. And then they find out just shortly thereafter that these people are not as far away as they said they were. They were right there in the land. But God says now it's, it's too late. You can't break 
the covenant you made with them in the land. You made a promise to them. You are my representative because the children of Israel were more than just a people. They were a people that bore the name of God. They represented everything about God. That's why they were to be holy because he was holy. It's why God called them out and set them apart from everyone else. They were ambassadors. They were representatives of Jesus Christ. It's it's um, the situation as it unfolds. Sure enough, the, the, the some of the surrounding enemies get mad at the Gibeonites and attack them. And so Joshua and the Israelites go to battle and they protect them. Well, life goes on and and all of a sudden we have a man named Saul, who's the first king of Israel. And Saul is trying to expand his kingdom. And he wants some territory and he sees the land of the Gibeonites and he says, let's wipe them out. And Saul begins to kill them and murder them and take their land after they had a covenant agreement and contract with the land. And then Saul, he reigns for some 45 years as king. And now David is the king. And he's been ruling and reigning and establishing his kingdom and expanding it. And years later, now they're in this famine for three years. And David's like, what's going on? And God says, you may not know and you may have forgotten, but I have not forgotten the covenant and the agreement that you as a people, as my representatives made with the Gibeonites 300 years ago. 300 years later. Who's thinking about a land agreement 300 years later? Who's thinking about a covenant 300 years later? It sure wasn't Saul. He's like, man, this is, I'm the king. This is, I, I want to expand my kingdom. I want to expand as he was actually the king for God's people, God's kingdom. He could justify it as. And I want to push the boundaries further. And all of a sudden, though, everyone was oblivious and unaware to why the famine was. God never moved on beyond time of the covenant and the agreement 300 years prior. And that sounds like a little crazy, but I'm kind of thankful that God doesn't forget things sometimes. Because the Bible says in the New Testament that you and I, we are Gentiles, meaning we are non-Jews. God allowed the Gentiles to enter into what we call the church and God's covenant of protection. And it says we are heirs or family and lineage of someone named Abraham. God made a covenant and an agreement with Abraham. If you're here today and you have never thought about Abraham and you've been a Christian or you forgot about Abraham, that's 4,000 years ago. Who thinks about something 4,000 years ago of a conversation with God and a man in the backside of nowhere? But God does not forget binding agreements. God's word is forever settled in heaven. And I'm thankful that there was an agreement made 4,000 years ago that those that bless Abraham are blessed and those that curse Abraham are cursed. And now we are a part of the blessing. We are part of that covenant. Abraham had the covenant of circumcision. And the Bible says now you and I as believers, our circumcision covenant is called baptism. And we have the same covenant that Abraham had 4,000 years ago. When's the last time you thought about a 4,000 year pact agreement that you're a part of? But God doesn't forget, though we 
forget or maybe never even considered or pondered. And perhaps you wonder why it matters so much to God. I'll give you a little insight to God. I don't understand everything about God, but we see glimpses of him in Scripture. And this is why it matters to God. No matter how long ago something occurred, it is because God is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is which was and is and is to come the Almighty, meaning God is eternal, meaning that God can dwell in the past and the future presently. What? What? what, what, what? How, how does that happen? Because he's God. He's eternal. God is the beginning and the end. Before him was nothing. Neither will there be anything after him. And though we are 4,000 years removed, and in the days of David, he's 300 years removed, God is still there. And God is still aware. Because God is eternal. As a people, you and I, we tend to live in one of those three segments of time. We probably know people that tend to live in the past. We know people that tend to just live for the moment. And we know people that just always think about the future. They're always looking ahead. But God lives in all three realms. And he lives outside of them. And he can see a complete three-dimensional or four-dimensional perspective, if you will, concerning time. Because God is not bound or confined to time. As I begin to read through the Bible, I, I, and I've shared with you before, but I've been just doing... I've been immersing myself in as much scripture as possible, trying to read through the Bible every single month. I'm on my six month straight reading through the Bible and it's pretty intense, but it's 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 been amazing because God, uh, you begin to see patterns in scripture that you don't typically see when you read the Bible over a year's time or over uh, uh, however long it takes you to read through the Bible. But I, I, God began to show me something, and I'm going to try to share it with you today. And we might have to do a hundred-part series. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to try to can, can fit as much as I can in here right now. But Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 11, I'm going to read through a lot of verses, and I'm going to be as conscious as I can of your time. But I feel the Holy Ghost so strong here today. The presence of God is here today, and it's not an accident that you are here today. In Jeremiah 12, 11, God is speaking through the prophet, and he says, They have made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourns unto me. What is it? The whole land is made desolate, because no man lays it to heart. No one is even emotionally engaged with what's going on in the land. And God says, the land is speaking to me. In verse 20 of Jeremiah 14, Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We all have sinned against you. The prophet goes on to say, chapter 32, verse 18, you show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's army. The prophet Jeremiah says the land cries out to God. And Jeremiah began to do something that was uh, strange in our mind. That he did not just repent of his sins. He repented for the sins of his ancestors. In Numbers 35, 33 through 34, we read about this concept in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. This will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted. God gave this command to Moses. He said, for murder pollutes the land. Someone say the land. 
And no sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land from murder. You must not defile the land where you live. For I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. See, as people that live in the present and in the moment, we just think of ours in our own. This is my house, my property, my family, my land, my car, my stuff. But God says, look, it's my land. And don't forget, I live in the land. And what you do in the land affects. How would you like some neighbor encroaching on your property and doing something you wouldn't want on your property? Say if you live out in the, the, the out in the middle of nowhere and you got your own acreage, and you see someone walking out on your lawn and they just start you know building a doghouse, you're like, but there I don't have a neighbor within three miles of me. Why are they building a doghouse right outside my front yard? Would that not bother you? Maybe just a little bit, kind of, sort of, not really. Maybe, kind of. It would it would it would wear on you. This, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God is impacted by what we do in the land because it's his land. Who's the creator? Us? No, he's the creator. He's the one that made this place and it impacts him. God is emotionally connected to the land. God is here and God is near. And he says murder pollutes the land. Deuteronomy 28 and 23 he says, the skies above will be as unyielding as bronze and the earth beneath will be hard as iron. And man, does that ever ring true with the Dakotas? If you've lived here, if you're not from here and you moved here, you definitely know what I'm talking about. If you lived here long enough, maybe you're just kind of used to the way it is. But this this region in this area is different than other regions of this world. The earth feels like iron and the skies when you pray feel like you're hitting bronze and you're not making it through to heaven. You try to drop to your knees, but it hurts because the earth is so hard and you feel like you can't get connected with God. It's because something in the land and God says there's certain ways you treat the land that I will make the land unyielding and unfruitful to you if you mistreat the land. I wonder if we can lift our hands for a moment. Can we just just plug into the Holy Ghost? I, I promise you we're going through God. I feel such a, a heaviness that God is wanting to convey to us as a church here today. Would you ask God to open you up to be sensitive, to receive the word of the Lord today? Jesus, Lord, not by my might and not by my power, but by your spirit, I pray, God, that scales would come off of our eyes, ears, and hearts, and you would give us a mind to perceive and understand. Someone say, in Jesus' name, would you clap your hands to the Lord? In Isaiah 24, verses 5 through 7, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and he says, The earth suffers for the sins of its people. For they have twisted God's instructions. They violated his laws. They broke his everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay for the price of their sin. They are destroyed by fire and only few are left alive. The grapevines waste away. There is no new wine. All the merrymakers sigh and mourn. Those that try to produce everything they can to produce to bring joy 
find themselves unable or incapable to bring about the joy that people are pursuing because the land is affected that greatly. In Deuteronomy 29, 15 and verse 29 as well, he says, I am making this covenant both with you and who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with the future generations who are not standing here today. The Lord, our God, has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. What Moses is speaking, God is speaking through Moses in the law and that closing moments there in Deuteronomy is that, look, God says, I'm not going to forget this. This is the way it's going to be. And this is not just for your generation and the next generation, but for generations that have yet to come to existence, generations that have yet to breathe their first breath of air. God says every generation will be held responsible for the instructions here in this book. I'm trying to be as quick as I can. Please, I hope I hope I have your attention with the help of the Holy Ghost for the next few moments. Nehemiah 1, 6 and also chapter 9. Let your ear now be attentive, thine eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant. I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants. I confess the sins of the children of Israel. We have sinned against you, both I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah is crying out, and he begins to confess the sins of his forefathers. Nehemiah wasn't there, and he didn't commit the sins and the atrocities of the land. Nehemiah wasn't there where they performed those vile, detestable acts that his forefathers committed. But Nehemiah, he knew the book. He knew the word, and he understand, understood some things about God. Though people may forget, God doesn't forget. Though people may move on, God doesn't move on. God will encamp around an atrocity. God will park it at a severe situation that has never been dealt with. There is a type of personality sometimes amongst us where we like to move on from something and never deal with it and just act as if nothing's the matter. Everything's okay. We might try to do that as a people, but God does not do that as a potentate. God does not do that as a king because he is righteous and he is just. And every single issue that's ever been will be dealt with by God. And so Nehemiah begins to do something so strange to you and I. He repents for former generations. In Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 the Bible says finally he got the place where he began to lead the people and they called for a fast and all of them began to change their garments. They began to rip their clothes and wear uncomfortable things. And all of a sudden, they would throw earth on them. They began to get pieces of the earth, the dirt of the earth, and throw it on them as a sign of repentance and humility and covenant with the land. See, the sins of the land affect us because we were made from the land. We are dirt. We came from the dirt. Into the dirt, we are going to return and he got in covenant with the dirt. He got immersed with the land. And he says, I am responsible for the activity of this land. And I humble myself. And I take the responsibility of my forefathers upon me. And he began to repent with all those around him. 
It's how Abel still had his voice. You remember the opening scripture? Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. And though Abel has no voice, yet his blood cried out from the earth. His blood spoke from the ground because God hears the sound of the earth. God hears the atrocity of the land. God is sensitive to the land and he hears the sound of the earth. The Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins. And look at this in verse 2. They confessed the sins of their ancestors. What kind of prayer was it? Look at verse 3. Look at this. This is intent. I know, I know we want to get out of church as fast as we can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. I know we got to try to vomit us rapidly right now. But look at these people. When God's word struck them, the Bible says they listened to the reading of the word for three hours. I'm not going to preach three hours. Don't worry. But they listened for three hours. And then after three hours of listening in Nehemiah 9.3, for three more hours... They confess their sins and worship their God. Something about the sin of the land got a hold of their heart and it became real to them. And they began to weep for three hours over their sins and the sins of the past, the sins of their ancestors. Jeremiah penned it like this in verse 21, chapter 8. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I am overcome with grief. Chapter 14, verse 20. Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We all have sinned against you. And then he goes on to say in the next book that he wrote called the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah was so impacted that he devoted an entire book to lamenting over the sins of his ancestors. And look what he said in Lamentations 5, 7. Our ancestors sinned, but they have died. And we are suffering the punishment they deserved. Wow. I don't know if you're seeing a pattern here. And if not, maybe I'll just kind of clue you in a little bit. But it seems that we serve a God who does not forget the past. I'm not saying God doesn't forgive and God doesn't wash away sins. That's not what I'm saying at all. We understand how the blood of Jesus Christ works. God is ready and willing to pardon at any given moment. But there are certain things you see all throughout Scripture. Though society moves on and they come to faith with God and they bring sacrifices to God, God still says there's some undealt issues that are going to keep affecting this current generation. Though they deserve to live the out onward effects or lasting effects of it, you're the ones that's alive and the land is going to continue to live in pollution and be affected as long as there is life on this earth. Daniel, the prophet himself says, I went on praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Daniel nine twenty. He pleaded with the Lord about it on that holy mountain. God showed that sins of the land must always be dealt with. Deuteronomy 19, 12, he even made laws about it. I can't read through all of it. She could uh, put the verses up there. You can look at verse 12 about the elders of the city. When they found someone that murdered someone, they would have to capture that person. In verse 13, they they would slay him. Why? To remove the innocent blood from Israel. Because murder pollutes the land. They would find the guilty party and they would deal with it. 
But you may ask, what do you do if you can't find the guilty party? Or what if time has gone so long that the guilty party no longer exists and it's impossible to find that individual and deal with them accordingly? That's what Deuteronomy chapter 21 is all about. Starting at verse 1, it talks about someone that murdered someone, but you cannot find them and you don't know who committed the murder. And this is how, this is how God works. It's amazing. He always finds a way to deal with something. God always makes a provision to make sure there's a way to, to make things right. And so I'm not going to read through it for the sake of time because I've already been preaching about 30 minutes here. And I, I don't want to go much more than 15, 20 minutes now. But hear me. If you go on reading through Deuteronomy chapter 21, all the way down through verse 9, it reads like this. Basically, they didn't know who the murderer was. They didn't know who the slayer was. They didn't know who the killer was. They didn't know who the avenger was. And so they would measure out where they would find a dead body. And they would distance to see which city was closest to this body. And whichever city was closest to this body was the city that would have to take on the responsibility. Whether or not that city was responsible or not. He says, that's the city that I wanted to take upon themselves because they're the ones closest impacted by the situation. No matter how long ago and no matter what kind of atrocity it was, the city closest to the situation needs to deal with the situation and needs to heal the land. And so they would have to bring a sacrifice. And when they would deal with this sacrifice and they would bring it before God and it was a violent sacrifice, they would break the neck of this animal. Then the Bible said this in verse seven, those people, after they did that, they took on the responsibility and they said, we didn't shed this person's blood. We did not see it happen. Does everyone see that in verse seven? I didn't kill him. I didn't shed the blood, but I'm close enough to the situation where it impacts me. I'm close enough to this piece of land where it plays into my world. And I'm not just going to be some ignorant bystander saying no big deal, not my responsibility. I'm not going to address it. Y'all okay? I'm telling the Holy Ghost is about to move in this place in just a moment. And so what happens here? Then the Bible says in verse eight, they would pray this prayer. God, though I didn't kill the person, though I didn't, wasn't there, though I didn't see it happen. Still, God, forgive your people whom you have redeemed. I know I've been redeemed, but I still want to take responsibility. Do not charge your people with the guilt of murdering an innocent person. Then they will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. And by following these instructions, you will do what is right in the Lord's sight and you will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. How often do we think about those verses in the Bible? When's the last time we preached that in church? Think about that. But we always like to never have to try to bear responsibility of some activity we weren't a part of. But see, the heart of God still is around that situation. And God says, is there anyone that wants to grieve with me? Is there anyone that wants to feel what I feel about this situation? Is there anyone that wants to be sensitive to what I saw in the land? Just like the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, where a tree falls, there it is. Revelation. Right? Just because you didn't see the tree fall doesn't mean the, fa- the tree hasn't fallen there. 
It's there. Just like Jesus said, I, you may not see the bird that falls to the ground, but I saw it. You may not know the numbers on your head, but I know when one falls out of your head. I know the very number. God knows every single situation and why this land is raging with such hurt and with such pain and why there's riots and fire and anguish and re- remembrance of the things that have occurred in the land for years and years. There is a God that has not missed one atrocity. There is a God that hasn't missed one single situation where someone was used, abused, taken advantage of, enslaved, raped, molested. God sees every situation that occurs and God is still grieving over it. God still feels what's going on in that place of the land. And we can move on with life and never know that it happened. But God says, I just want somebody to know what happened. And whether you killed him or not, whether your hands were there or not, whether you saw it or not, whether it was 300 years ago or whether it was 4,000 years ago, is there anyone that grieves with me for what has happened in the land? Would you lift your hands for a moment? Oh, there's such a burden on my heart. I know I'm, I might be preaching a little long here, but I, I don't want to rush the healing of the land. I don't want to rush what God is wanting to do in his people. We are his people. He is our God, and he wants to do a work in us today. Hallelujah. The Bible lets us know God never treated an atrocity as, oh, well, let's just move on. No. In 2 Samuel 24, 25, David built an altar and he offered burnt offerings to God and peace offerings. And the Bible said after David did this, the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from the land. He took responsibility and God, his wrath, his anger, his sorrow was appeased. It was entreated. And God reversed the curse. We read in Hosea 4, 1 through 4, maybe the ideology or the mindset of perhaps far too many Christians. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying there's no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and you break them. You kill, you steal, you commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea are disappearing. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priest, you royal priesthood, you holy nation, that God has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The complaint is with you. We like to always say it wasn't me, it was someone else. And it's not about taking responsibility as the person who did something. It's about showing that you're touched with the feelings of someone else's infirmities. That you are moved and stirred by what's going on in the land. Hosea 9.15, this is a crazy scripture that God just kind of just hit me right in the chest. God says, all their wickedness began at Gilgal. And that's why I am the way I am with them. They moved on, but God hasn't. 
God had a point of reference, a certain time and a certain place. And he says, this is where it started, and it's never been corrected. And because it's never been corrected, it's why things are the way they are. You have to find where it began, and then you can begin to heal. We have to find where things began if we want them to begin to heal. Other words, like Job said in 31, 38 through 40, if my land accuses me and all its furrows cry out together, if I stole crops, if I murdered its owners, then let thistles grow on that land instead of wheat and let weeds grow instead of barley. Job says, look, I don't deserve a harvest if there's injustice in the land. I have to take care of the land if I want to see the fruit of the land. I feel God answered one of my prayer requests at the beginning of the year as I was in fasting. I asked God, God, what do we need to do to have revival in South Dakota? God focused my attention on this statement. Heal the land. I don't say that lightly when I say God spoke to me. But I, I know him to speak to me. He said, heal the land if you want revival in the land. I asked God, what do we need to do to heal the land in South Dakota? And the Lord began to show me a type of prayer and a type of fasting that I'd never done that's in the Bible, and it caught my attention. And I've seen it multiple times, and I've shared many of those verses with you that I've been reading since January. This has been on my heart since January. I've been compiling this since January about the land, about what's going on in the land and why South Dakota doesn't seem to have that kind of breakthrough revival that you know about in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world where it just seems like the church is on fire and it thrives and it grows and it flourishes and there's such a move of the Holy Ghost. And I don't belittle the victories that are here. I don't mock the major monumental moments that have occurred in your life, in my life, and in this community. I don't mock that. I don't insult it one bit. But I am still not convinced that the land is healed either. I'm still not convinced that the revival God desires to have has happened here in this land yet. There is a breakthrough and there is a harvest. But God says, you guys want to move to that point, but I'm still over here at this point, looking for someone to grieve over this moment, looking for someone to focus on this moment with me. And if you can be moved by what moves me, we can move over here. We can work over here. We can move forward. But until the land is healed, we'll never see the amount that we would like to see in God's kingdom. If you believe that, would you clap your hands? Would you begin to talk to the Lord and say, I, I love you, Jesus. Heal the land. Heal the land. This type of prayer and fasting is not one that tries to gain spiritual giftings. It's a response to something that cannot be undone because it's already occurred. It's simply meant to appease a God that is grieving. The history of atrocity in a land never goes unnoticed by God. And if you have any peripheral or fringe awareness of the Dakotas in this part of the world, many atrocities have been committed in this land and to the people of this land. Many were the Native Americans. And many of these Native Americans in South Dakota 
were treated poorly in the name of Jesus Christ, if you do your history. What happened to them grieves the heart of God. And I know this might rub some of you the wrong way, and it might make us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it's good to let God make us a little uncomfortable and deal with some realities. Because there are real atrocities when you do history. And if you've not read about the land, I encourage you to do some reading about the land. Read about people that have family that were affected by this land. Read about people that just one generation removed were affected by this land or currently are affected in this land. What happens to anyone like that grieves the heart of God. When God's name is misrepresented, it grieves his heart. You can read about this number of times in Scripture. I'll give one for you to look at. It's Genesis 34, verse 15 and 16. It's when the children of Israel, and they're very fresh, they're very new. They're a new church plant. You know, they're, they're less than 70. And so at this point, basically, there, there, there's an, a, a, an atrocity that occurs. The, the children of Israel, they have one of their family members raped by the people of the land. Her name is Dina. And the brothers are aggravated. They're so mad. And they want to take vengeance upon the people of the land. And so they, they see that the people of the land want to marry the daughter that they raped. And so they come up with a, an idea. They're like, hey, how about this? How about let's enter into an agreement? Let's get enter into a pack, a covenant. We'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll marry, we'll intermingle, we'll interact, we'll share the land, we'll be friends, we'll be one big happy family. All we ask is for you to convert to our faith and be circumcised. And all of a sudden, as they were circumcised, they took on that covenant that was so sacred and so serious. And the Bible says that Levi and Simeon, that they began to attack all the men that were circumcised, that were incapable of defending themselves, and slaughtered all of them. And the name of God and the faith of God was misrepresented. And you better believe that it grieved a God that loves, a God that is touched with the feelings of people's infirmities. If you, I'm not going to go through a big history lesson here today, but I would ask you, I would implore you, I would encourage you to read a little bit about North Dakota, about South Dakota, about Minnesota, about Nebraska, about Iowa. You can read all the way to the East Coast and you can read about the history of the West Coast. You can read all the way to the Northern part and to the most Southern part. But no matter what piece of land you look in, in the United States of America or even our world, you will find a piece of land with atrocity. You will find a place where the name of God was misrepresented. You will find a piece of property and you will find a people that were scarred and hurt. There's not a single tribe. There's not a single nation that is pure, holy, perfect, and good that has no mistake or error. You understand me on that, correct? Nobody is perfect. Nobody has a perfect squeaky cling pass, but there are certain atrocities that God still remembers and knows and says, look, don't think you can move on without grieving over the situation. And what we read about in scripture time and time again, you find a prophet, you find a layman, you find a average Joe Schmo that all of a sudden gets a heart like Nehemiah, who's just a servant in the house of a king, basically giving beverages to the 
king. But one day his heart got a hold of him and he began to repent and pray. Nehemiah wasn't way back when, when all the, the sins of the land occurred. But he says, something's not right here. God, I got to make it right. And Lord, I don't point the finger at anyone else. First and foremost, forgive me of any sin in my life. And God, those that have deceased and departed and moved on, I just want you to know, God, what happened way back when that hurts God, that impacts me, God. And Lord, I know I can't pray in place of them. They are entered into eternity. But right now where I live, I want to pray about that past circumstance. And God, I want to say I'm sorry as a people. I am sorry as not just an individual, but as a people for what occurred. And I want you to know, God, moving forward, that's not how this people are going to be. That's not how this people are going to operate. God, we're not okay with it. It's quiet here, so I'm just going to believe you're listening. And God is talking to you. But I believe we have to come to this reality that everything that has occurred in this land, and I, as I said, I can't go through history lesson, but I'm reading literature about the sins of the past and what people did in the name of Jesus in this land where they forced conversions on people and they literally, they abused people. They killed the Native Americans and they, they raped Native Americans and all these horrific things you read about. Horrible. All done in the name of Jesus. Doesn't mean everybody back then did the same thing. You understand, I'm making some general statements, but you still got to remember some specific things that occurred that we perhaps never even thought about repenting for the land. Have you ever spent three hours repenting for the land? I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But when we read the book of Nehemiah, after they thought about all their ancestors and their heritage and what they committed, for three, they actually stood for six hours. Three hours letting the word hit them. And then them hitting the dirt for three hours. And saying, God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Would you lift your hands? I'm just about done. Would you lift your hands for a moment? And would, would you just begin to pray, God, heal the land? Does anyone want this land healed? Does anyone want this world to move forward into revival and in the will of God? I want there to be healing in the land. I'm tired of seeing hurt. I'm tired of seeing pain. I'm tired of seeing racism. I'm tired of seeing hatred and bigotry. I'm tired of seeing bias and abuse. I'm tired of seeing mistreatment. I'm tired of seeing things going on the way they are, God. Lord, we cannot move on until we look back and repent. Look, I, I was raised around a culture. I always, I've heard folks say this all the time. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 these, these minorities, these, these African-Americans, these Native Americans, these Latin Americans, they need to get over. They need to move on. That happened so long ago. I've heard that growing up. Do you think, really, that's how God thinks? Oh, you guys just need to get over it. You just need to move on. Move on and get over it helps nobody. Maybe God doesn't want us to get over it. Maybe he wants us to grieve over it. Thank God. I know I wasn't there just like you wrote in your law in Deuteronomy. That I didn't see it. I wasn't a part of it. But God, I live on that piece of land. And it's close enough that it hits home. 
And God, I'm seeing it play out right now. And to pretend that there's no racism is insane. To pretend there's no problems in our world right now and that we just need to move on is the most ludicrous thing we could possibly do right now. Racism is real. And you can say, well, man, they're, 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 people are grieving over stuff that happened decades ago, centuries ago, thousands of years ago. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. God doesn't forget. And time doesn't dull those pains and those atrocities because they get handed from one generation to the next generation. And it's as fresh and as real as it was something that occurred to them this morning. And if I'm wrong, then what's going on in our world right now? What's going on right now? Do you and I believe that the land is healed? Do we believe that everything's all right? See, God doesn't care until we care. And the people of the land don't care until we care. How can you reach a people that you can't grieve with them? The Dakotas are filled with atrocity. And how can we reach a land that we don't grieve with them over the history of the land? If you walk out of this service and never come back again because this sermon offends you and you disagree with it, I don't wish that, but I'm very certain what I'm saying here today. I am determined to grieve for the land because this is where God called me to South Dakota. God brought a boy out of Chicago and put him in South Dakota to see revival in the land. And I will fight against any spirit that will try to distract me from seeing healing in the land. We cannot undo what was done, but we can correct how we respond to what was done. And we can begin to grieve for what was done. And we can begin to get touched with the feelings of others' infirmities. And instead of just brushing someone off that brings up the past, you could actually sit there and listen to them and see how real, fresh, and current the pain is to them. And all of a sudden, maybe your heart, the callousness, the coldness, or the the, the distance from that reality will begin to crumble and buckle. And you'll be moved by what moves them. And if you are stirred by what stirs them, you now can be effective with them. And you can lead them to greener pastures. You can lead them to paths beside still waters. That is what we want to do as a church. I've been going 50 minutes. I, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. I know I keep saying it. But I really am. I'm not going to go much longer. But I'm not trying to rush this either. And if you got to go, I understand. I won't condemn you. I understand we have schedules, but I'm trying to operate on God's schedule. I know this is different, but I believe it's going to make a difference for us. There's plenty of crimes David didn't commit, but David would respond with grieving and fasting to show God how he felt, and God would withhold judgment. David wasn't the one that mistreated the Gibeonites. His predecessor was, and God sent a plague in the famine in the present. David had nothing to do with it, but until a David, David addressed the problem, then and only then was the famine and pestilence addressed. We get emotional and we grieve over things easier than others. There's some things that move us easier than other things. And that's to be expected. We're human. But think about this. Something that happened this year that we may have already forgot is Kobe Bryant's death. 
to be more emotionally impacted. I was emotionally impacted as a kid watching that guy play ball. I never met him in my life. I don't know him personally, but something emotional happened to me when I found out the news. But to be more emotionally impacted by something so distant to me than the atrocities of a land I live in, that can't please God, could it? To be moved by something so distant from me more than something I live in. Something's off. Until we come in covenant with the land and have a conviction of the land, then and only then can we be effective in the land. I'm telling you, I I feel such clear direction from the Holy Ghost about this situation. That God wants the land to be healed. And if you still aren't moved at all right now, I, I, I pray that these scriptures are impacting you. And your homework assignment, your altar call is to go home and learn about the land. Learn about the history. And all of a sudden realize where our feet are walking and the blood that is under our feet. I'm not saying we slayed in the present, but the land we walk on, God is just looking for someone to lay it on their heart. And come and covenant with the land and say, God, this will not happen again. And I am sorry, God for your name being misrepresented. I'm almost afraid, I'm frightened to feel what God feels for the history of this land, to be honest with you. You guys know Josh Herring, he's been through this church, and this is something he told me. Intercession is easy for me when I ask God to let me hear what's happening. When you can hear the voice of the past, and you can hear the voice of the lost, if you and I can hear the voice of Abel, well, am I my brother's keeper? The blood of Abel's crying out. And until you hear the voice like God heard the voice, then and only then can we get where we need to be in intercession for the land. It's easier not to take responsibility and to rebuke spirits and all that kind of stuff with something you don't agree with. It's easier to do that and bind them and rebuke them with an angry voice than to be touching with the feelings of people's infirmities. Atrocity will stoke emotions within humanity, rage, bitterness, unforgiveness. But until there's forgiveness, there can be no further forgiveness. I read just some closing verses here. Hebrews 12, 24, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And what that verse means is the blood of Jesus Christ. What it does is not want to bring judgment to our day and age, but it wants to clothe and cover the judgment of all days and age prior to us. That that blood can be applied over the land. That that blood can, it can appease the wrath of God. That that blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. Because you know what the blood of Abel was crying out from the ground? Vengeance. Vengeance. Let's get him back. Let's get him back for mistreating us. Let us get, let us get him back for mis, mis, uh, her, uh, the mistrust and the abuse and all the things. Let's get him back. Let's, let's get revenge. Let's, let's take over. Let's do this. And the blood of Jesus says, no, it's not about revenge. It's about reconciliation. It's about making right what was wrong, though what happened in the past cannot be undone. 
But what happens presently and what happens in the future can be healed. That's what the blood of Jesus wants to do in this part of the country. That's what the blood of Jesus wants to do in this land. And it strikes home in reality because we're only four hours in distance from what just occurred in Minneapolis. And that that situation, it stoked such a fire in this world. And not just in the America, but all across the world, people united. Why? Because that hurt is still real. Though it might be decades removed for some people, it might be centuries removed for some people, but the wound is still fresh and it's still there and it has reignited something that has not been resolved. And I am determined. I'm not saying we're going to go on some political social justice campaign. No, I, I, I don't have all the answers on how this plays out, but I do think repentance is a good start. I do think it's a good start. I think grief is a good start. I think tears are a good start. I think just saying, God, I'm not okay with the past and I don't know all the past, but Lord, it's close enough to home where I'm going to get involved and I'm going to grieve over the past and I'm going to bring you a sacrifice to let you know I don't want murder to pollute the land. I don't want slavery to pollute the land. I don't want injustice to any race, to man, woman, child, to pollute the land. Second Corinthians five sixteen through 19. We know no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things are of God. That's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You want to find a ministry? It's called reconciliation. God gave it to everyone. It's to make things right that have been wrong and to make them back to the original state they should be. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that was the ministry of Jesus Christ, was to reconcile relationship with God and man. And that's the ministry you and I have, is the ministry of reconciliation. The answer is not to get defensive, but to get repentant. The answer is not retaliation, but reconciliation. Time may be distant, but the pain and memory isn't. As we read in Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, if I shut the heavens and there's no rain, if I send locusts on the land or if I send pestilence and disease among my people, if my people, does anyone claim to be his people? Is there someone that believes you're a child of God? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Responsibility is an act of humility. Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the sins of their fathers, they didn't do it but they repented of it. What do you think made them such great prophets? Responsibility is an act of humility. Jesus wasn't the one who sinned, but he took on himself the sins of the world. Let's stand together. We say we want to be like Jesus, but are we willing to take on the sins of the past? Are we willing to repent of the past? It's kind of hard to gauge what's going through your mind. It's quiet. But I really do believe God's 
provoking a lot of emotion inside of our hearts and minds and souls right now. I believe if we do this, we'll see this fulfillment in Isaiah 25, 7. There will he remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. We've talked about it time and time again, how there's like a low-hanging cloud over this territory, this cloud of gloom and despair. But the Bible says God prophesied that he could remove that cloud of gloom and drive back the shadow of death that hangs over this earth, this property, this piece of land. In Isaiah 25, 8, it says he will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. Zechariah 3, 9 says this, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. What has gone on for centuries, God can remove in one day. God can God can change everything just like that. God is just looking for a people to be touched by the feelings of someone's infirmity. Zechariah 13, 2, God says, look, if you would do this, I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Everything that is not of God, God says, I can drive that, those spirits out of the land if you would make things right in the land. One last verse and I'm done. And I'm sorry I preached so long, especially if you're here a guest. I promise you, I usually don't preach 10 hours. And I usually don't preach such intensity like this. But I'm telling you, I, I don't believe it's a coincidence anyone that's here today. And I believe I'm speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And I don't say that lightly. Because there is about to be a healing of the land very soon. I believe it with all my doesn't mean that we have everything ironed out and perfect. But repentance is a good start. Grieving and not brushing other people off and writing them off saying, well, you know, they need to get over it. Or, you know, I, was, I, I wasn't the one that took the land. I wasn't the one. No, that, that will never solve anything. But when God sees somebody moved and stirred about what's occurred in this land, it will move God's heart. In Jeremiah twelve eleven, this is what God's just looking for. Someone to recognize that we've made this land desolate. And this desolate land is mourning to God. And this whole land is desolate. You know why, God says? Because no one's taking it to heart. No one's laying it on them. Our focus, as I said, is not to get politically involved, but we need to get spiritually involved. I read a book called Neither Wolf Nor Dog, and it's it's a pretty... My wife gave it to me to read, and it's very stirring. And it's, if, if you got a chance to look up and read it, I would, I would encourage you to. It gives you an insight to some Native American elders in the Dakotas and the things they've went through and the things that they've seen and experienced, literally being in a boarding school and being beaten, whipped, and abused in horrific fashion. But it, this, this elder made this statement, and I jotted it down. And he said this, he used to take me in walks. He's talking about his, his father. He would take me up on walks on the hill by our house and say that we had to learn to forgive like the land forgives. He would show me places where the land had been destroyed and say that the earth would cover it with new grasses. And that's what Indian people had to do with the white people. He was talking about forgiveness and how nature tries to teach us some things. That nature, when something is destroyed, it tries to bring a new life. 
and all the destruction that has occurred, God wants to bring new life, and there's got to be forgiveness. But if forgiveness is never a part of it, and we just landscape the land and never deal with what occurred in the land, it's just covering a blemish, a cancer. It's like putting a Band-Aid over an open cancer on somebody. It does nothing to landscape. you got to deal with the issue. There's got to be someone that lays it to heart and begins to grieve and repent. I would encourage you, if you feel so led, and I, 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 I'm not calling or mandating a fast in this church, but if you could, if you could find it in your heart to fast this week and, and pursue this idea of what God's trying to press on our hearts, and maybe even Tuesday, we have Tuesday night prayer here, that you would spend a Tuesday in fasting. And when we come here together as a church, that we would have a moment of repentance and saying, God, heal this land. Heal this land. For it is the will of God to heal this land. I wonder if we could lift our hands for a moment. I wonder if you could just make some of those prayers and declarations in your heart right now, God. I've never wept over the past here before. If that's your prayer, I want you to pray that. God, I've never looked into the history, Lord, of this land. I never looked in the history, God, of the slaves that were brought overseas. God, I never looked at the history, God, Lord, of the natives, Lord, in this land. What happened, Lord, when foreigners came overseas and began to attack and begin to abuse and begin to mistreat and begin to lie and deceive and say, look, let's, let's get into covenant. Let's come into agreement. Let's, let's work together. But they lied on that covenant. They lied on those promises. They lied and they misrepresented religion. God, Lord, I want to grieve. Lord, I want to weep with those that weep. Lord, it's sometimes easy to rejoice with those that rejoice. But God, teach us to weep with those that weep. Help us to hurt God with the people that hurt. God, help us to be touched with the feelings of others' infirmities. Just like you, Jesus, though you knew no sin. Though you didn't commit those sins, you took those sins upon yourself because, Lord, you wanted there to be a healing in the land and your blood speaks better things. Help me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, to take sins upon me, Lord, that I was not there, that I did not see, that I did not commit. But, God, I want to put it on my heart and bring it to this altar and say, God, forgive us of our past as a people. God, forgive us, Lord, for the message times, Lord, we have misrepresented your name as a Christian movement. Lord Jesus, I want to heal the land. I want to see the land healed. Lord, I'm tired of destruction and racism and prejudice and violence and deception and mistrust. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Ah, Come on, would you pray with me? Jesus, wherever you're at, would you make it an altar right now? Would you begin to pray that Jesus would heal this land? Would you pray that you could be a part of the healing of the land? Oh, Lord, I want to heal the land. Lord, how can we have revival in the land if there's not reconciliation in the land? How can we have revival in the land if there's not healing in the land? Help us to grieve, God. Help us to be moved, God. Help us to be touched, God. Help us to be impacted, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.